Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. just one of those things where we like to get we got like to get letters in the mail and those kind of things and when I was in college in my junior year I started dating this really cute girl named Jamie and um, yeah we started dating my second semester of my junior year and uh, it seemed like that first three months just kind of flew by and that summer I was I was scheduled to, to be at an internship uh, youth ministry internship in Uniontown Pennsylvania over near Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania for the summer, and Jamie was heading back home up to Buffalo, New York, and so we were going to be apart for three months, and it was like, oh my goodness, how are we going to do this? And, uh, and just to kind of demonstrate our age a little bit, there was email, but it was new, and it was one of those things where you had to have a computer that, you know, somebody else couldn't be on the phone in order for you to use, and you'd hear that, ding, ding, you know, that dial up, ding, 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 you know, that kind of thing, as slow as anything, so we didn't have that. So we wrote letters to each other through the summer, and that was, that was a lot of fun. I couldn't wait when I would get one of those letters in the mail during that summer to see what Jamie had written and what was going on and what she was doing. There was not text messaging at that point. In fact, I didn't get a cell phone and, until I was uh, at my second youth pastorate, youth pastorate that I got my first cell phone. I mean, that, that was how it was, and there was just not this kind of communication. So I used to love to get those letters. I used to love to write back. And we would exchange those things and really enjoy those handwritten letters. And today, again, all kinds of forms of communication. But in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus is writing a letter. And he's writing letters. In fact, he writes seven letters. And these seven letters go to seven different churches throughout the area of the New Testament church that have been started. And that, that's what we see as these letters. And, uh, and Jesus is very personal. He's got a personal message that he's sending to his church. And Revelation, is a, a, again, is written by one of his disciples turned apostle by the name of John. And uh, John had been arrested. John had been tortured. He had actually been boiled in oil and survived that kind of persecution. And so then he was exiled onto an island called Patmos, the Isle of Patmos. And he was there. And while he was there, he has a vision and so Revelation chapter 1, before we get into letters, sets the stage. Revelation 1, verses 10 and 11, it says this, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so John has this vision, and the vision, in the vision, Jesus, one who is like the Son of Man, Jesus comes, Jesus is speaking to him, and Jesus says, listen, I want you to write down what I'm giving you. And there's a whole lot more that he writes down, but particularly he begins by saying, I have a message to my church. I have a message to my church. There are, there are seven of these, and there was a lot more churches than that. But regionally, there were seven centers of the church. And Jesus said, I've got a message for each and every one of them that I am writing to them. He was concerned about them as churches. He was concerned about the individuals that make up his churches. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to explore these letters, these written letters that were to the church to discover what God is speaking about, what God is warning about, what God might be encouraging us as his church today. 
And so today we begin with the first church that is mentioned, and that is the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus. So if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. As you're turning or as you're preparing or searching through your Bible app there to get it, we're going to just give you a little background on Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a, a, a mighty city. It was a majestic city. It was a center for tourism and trade within the Roman Empire. There were four major trade routes that went through this city, making it somewhat of a, a, a cosmopolitan in the ancient world. It was a wealthy city, and it was a very pagan city. And it was home to the largest temple in the ancient world, the pagan temple of Artemis. Acts chapter 20 gives us background on this church where it tells us that Paul had preached among them for three years. So Paul is the one that planted this church. Paul and his missionary journeys came through and he met some believers and they came together and they planted the church in Ephesus. Paul felt led, unlike some of his others where he was only there like Thessalonica, he was only there for a short period of time, persecution broke out and he had to move on. For this church, Paul spent three years in this church. We also have the book of Ephesians that when Paul was then imprisoned in Rome that he was writing back to encourage this church. And so Ephesians was a letter that was written to the church of Ephesus. We also can understand that, that there were those who, who were in Christ, who knew how to walk with Christ, who, who knew how to engage in spiritual warfare because the letter of Ephesians is teaching them all about those kinds of things. There were great pastors and great leaders in the church in Ephesus. As I said, Paul had planted the church, but when Paul left, he left Timothy behind to pastor that church. So the church had not only Paul as its pastor, but it had Timothy that stayed behind to continue to disciple and pastor the church. Along with that, there were, great, uh, there were a great deal of elders and leaders who had, who had come to, to help lead that church. And later on, it's believed that John, who was given this vision also, was a pastor of this church. During Paul's ministry in Ephesus, many people came to salvation in Christ. There were great miracles that took place. In fact, Acts 19.12 says that handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. There was great revival, and that great revival led to many people to turn away from idolatry and worship of other gods and begin to worship the God, Jehovah. How do we know this? Because in Acts chapter 19, 18 through 20, many who came to know Christ began to confess what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, it says, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, and that's a silver coin that represented an entire day's wage. So 50,000 that, 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 that demonstrated an entire day's wage. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. In fact, so much did this, that, that, that Paul's ministry and the church of Ephesus have the power of God and revival at work that literally it stirred up a riot in which the people began to come together and those who were the maker of idols, their economy was so hit that they rallied people together and they began this rebellion cheer about great as Artemis, great as Artemis, and they wanted Paul, uh, they wanted to be down with Paul. I mean, there was just a great riot in the city. That's how much there was transformation and revival in this city. The church was on fire. 
And the New Testament church began to grow. And in Acts chapter 20, Paul returned to Ephesus and he met with leaders to encourage them prior to him going to Jerusalem. And they wept together because they knew that Paul had said, listen, you're never going to see me again. I know that. I know when I go on to Jerusalem, there's going to be persecution. I know that my ultimate goal is Rome. I don't know how everything's going to come about, but I'm not coming back here. And these leaders who had grown together with Paul as their pastor and and Timothy, they began to, to cry and weep together. This is a church that had a great reputation, a reputation of history and health. In fact, Jesus confirms this in his opening to the letter of this church. So let's look at the commendation that he gives because Jesus opens with a commendation in this letter. Revelations 2, 1 to 3. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. And you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Now, how many know that's a great commendation, isn't it? There are some great things that are happening here. The angel that is mentioned here is a messenger or a leader to the angel of the church. What he's writing to is the leadership of the church. He's saying, listen, this is a letter to the leadership of my church. The lampstands represent the influence that the church has in in the city and in the community that is around. And so it's Jesus letting him know, listen, I hold you in my hand. I hold my church in my hand to the angel of the church. Write this, I hold the stars. I hold you in my hand. And I'm walking among you. In other words, I see you. I know you. I'm holding you. I'm not far from you. I'm near you. And this is what I see as I'm holding you and as I'm walking among you. This is what I see. This is what I know. How many know that Jesus is near us? Jesus cares about his body. Jesus cares about his church. And Jesus is here walking among us, observing and saying, listen, I see and I watch and I know my presence is near even when you don't feel it, even when you don't recognize that I'm near you. And what does he observe about his church? We find three qualities, three qualities of the Ephesus church in which they are commended for. The first is this, it was a serving church. It was a serving church. There were people that were involved in service. It says this in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. This was an active church. The people in this church weren't sitting on the sidelines. The people in this church were engaged in serving. The people in this church were, 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 were ministering and serving to the needs of their community. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I see how hard you're working for me. One of the translations uses the word toil to describe this church. And G. Campbell Morgan describes the meaning of toil as an effort that produces work even at the cost of pain. So there was sacrifice that was going on. This was a a toil. This was a sacrifice. It wasn't always easy, but they made the sacrifices because they believed that it was important to serve in the church. Let me tell you something. That's a beautiful quality to, to commend, isn't it? Serving. Serving is an important quality. Serving is an important quality in which Jesus commends. And so I want to encourage you that if you're not serving somewhere in the church, I want to encourage you, find a place to serve. There are many opportunities to serve. This church was commended for serving. Secondly, this not only were they involved in actively doing the work of the ministry, but this church was a discerning church. They were a discerning church. Revelation 2 2 says that, that, uh, that you cannot bear with evil men that have tested those who have called themselves apostles but are not and found them to be false. 
It's very easy to see why Ephesus would have been a problem with false teachers being a trade route and a lot of people coming through and the Roman roads would have made it easy. There was a lot of people who were coming in at that time and they were trying to gain influence in the church. They were claiming to be apostles. They were claiming to have the truth. In fact, Paul himself at times battled with those who were struggling with whether he was truly an apostle or not. Many of his times, that's what he would write in his letters. But here, this church, they would test those who had claimed to have a message. They would test those who had come with a message and said, this is the gospel. This is Jesus Christ. They would test those things, and they held on to the truth. They held on to doctrinal purity. In fact, when Paul had left his church uh, years before in Acts chapter 20, he'd taken those leaders aside that had come that day that they had wept together. And before they had done, he warned them that there would be wolves who would be dressed in sheep's clothing. There would be false teachers that would come and attempt to lead them astray. And he encouraged them to test and not let that happen. And they did that. They followed what Paul had encouraged them. They followed those things they had tested. In fact, in verse 6 of Revelation 2 that we didn't read, it says, yet, uh, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There's a lot of debate about who are the Nicolaitans, what, what kind of people group were they. But they were the, the kind of people group that brought in the idea the, of, of grace so radical that it didn't matter what your morals were. In other words, you could do whatever you wanted to do and grace would cover it. And they said, no, 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 that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. They were holding to a purity of the gospel. They were holding to a, to a doctrinal purity of the gospel. They were serving the Lord, and they were holding to the moral principles of God's word. They had tested these branch of false apostles and found them to be false. And, 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 and again, they had come in and they had said, listen, we know that this is truth. And they hung on to truth. The third quality of this church is they're a persevering church. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and am not growing weary. With so much activity and serving and testing, not to mention persecution towards these Christians within the Roman culture, it would be easy for them to give up, but not this church. Not this people, not these that made up the body of believers here in Ephesus. They served the Lord and they tested and they persevered through every difficulty and hardship that had come their way. They continued to hang on to their faith. They weren't giving up. By all accounts, we would say this is a healthy church. By all accounts, when you look at the church of Ephesus, this has the qualities of a healthy church, a church in which there is a culture of serving, a church in which they hold to the word of God and test the doctrine and try to keep the doctrine pure, a church that no matter what the hardships would come was persevering. These are great things to be commended for, and yet as we continue on, we find that by all accounts, this healthy church, there is something in which Jesus warns about that was a problem. In the midst of all of these things, there is a problem here. And Jesus warns in Revelation 2, 5 later on that if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Again, the lampstand represents light and influence within the community. It represents that, that light that they have. And as healthy as they appear on the outside with their serving culture and discerning culture and persevering culture, they were in danger of that light going out. How can a church that appears to be so healthy be in danger of their light going out? What, what is the problem here? Why? 
And so what we find, the problem with the Ephesus church, what is it? Jesus gives his counsel here, or maybe we'll call it his, his, his he diagnoses the problem. How many know if you've got a problem, you may not know you have a problem. You go to the doctor, and they test your blood pressure, and they run these tests, and they go, you say, I'm healthy. And they say, no, you're not. Right? And what do they do? They give you a diagnosis. They tell you what's not healthy. Well, they thought they were a healthy church, and Jesus is writing them, and he commends them, and he says, you know what, all these things I commend you for, they're good, but I have one problem. There's a problem. Here's the problem. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Are you forsaken? You've left your first love. See, although they have been serving and discerning and persevering some way, Somewhere along the line, the love relationship they have with the Lord had faded. Notice that it uses the word forsaken. That, that word means to abandon. Somewhere along the line, they had exchanged the relationship with the Lord for the work of the Lord. Somewhere along the line, they had started out strong, but over time, things had begun to change. A generation had come and gone since Paul had preached to them. And while they had remained faithful to the Word of God and to the instructions that Paul had given and preached, there was something that was still lacking. They had lost their passion. They had lost their fervor for Christ. This, this, this church, this church lost that motivation that burned within their hearts and exchanged it for a mechanical orthodoxy, a ritualistic form of service that lacked enthusiasm and zeal. Friends, we must be careful not to let our love for Jesus turn into duty instead of delight. It's so easy to slip into duty. It's so easy to slip into doing a lot of religious things out of just for the fact that that's what we have always done. This is the way that we do it and forget and miss out and not even realize that we've forsaken the very one who loves us and the very one in which we began doing these things for. It's not that serving and discerning and persevering are bad qualities. Quite the contrary, Jesus commended this church for those things. It's not that we abandon those other things. It's not about an abandonment. Quite the contrary, the problem is they cannot be a substitute. Those things cannot be a substitute for the first love relationship that we have with Jesus. They cannot be a substitute for that. See, what happens is when we just move to, 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 to serving or discerning and again those are not bad things or we're just we're persevering on the problem is is that we can forget why we're doing it in the first place that we can we can be doing it so much that we forget what the motivation was in the first place and when we forget what the motivation was when we forget that love relationship with Jesus you know what happens we lose our joy we lose our joy we just I'm serving the Lord I'm serving the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, yep, stinks, but I'm serving the Lord. We lose our joy. Where's our joy? Where's the love relationship that we have with Jesus, the passion for Jesus Christ? See, although we can do all kinds of work for Jesus Christ, ultimately we cannot lose our commitment to loving Jesus Christ. The test of the commitment to love Jesus so the question is not whether you fall in love with Jesus, but whether you stay in love with Jesus. It's not whether you fall in love with him, but whether you stay in love with Jesus. 
You know, just think of it. It's possible to serve, sacrifice, and suffer for my namesake and not really love Jesus. The Ephesian believers were so busy maintaining their separation that they were neglecting adoration. Labor is not a substitute for love. Neither is purity a substitute for passion. The church must have both if it's going to please the Lord. And by reading Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, you discover at least 20 references to love. 20 references to love. You also discover that Paul emphasized a believer's exalted position in Christ in the heavenly places, but the Ephesian church had fallen and was not living up to their heavenly position in Jesus Christ. Revelation 2.4, they had fallen. They had fallen. Return from where you have fallen. Friends, it's only as we love Christ fervently that we can serve him faithfully. It's only as we love Christ fervently that we can serve Christ faithfully. So what's the answer? What's the prescription? What's the prescription that is given? You know, when you go to the doctor, they, they not only diagnose, but it's really good when they can give you a prescription, something to help you. When they can say, here, take these, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. You know, they give you something that might help. They tell you, you need to lose a little weight. You need to do a little more exercise. You need to watch your cholesterol intake. You need to watch your sugar. There's some kind of a prescription that's given whenever there's a problem. And thank you, Jesus, that you don't just point out the problem, but you also give a prescription for how to handle the problem. And that's what we find in this letter that he commends them and he encourages kind of doing the sandwich technique, you know. Hey, I'm commending you. You did so great. You're doing great in these things. However, here's the problem. You're about to have your light go out because your love relationship with me has grown cold. You've forsaken your love relationship with me. You're doing all of these other things, substituting it for a love relationship with me. Now, that's the problem. Well, what do I do about it? How do I handle that? If if I find that I don't love Jesus as much as I used to, if I find that my love relationship with Jesus is not as passionate as it once was, I'm not there, I'm not as excited about it as I once was, if I found that I'm moving more into duty rather than, than a love relationship with Christ, what do I do about it? And he gives us a prescription. In fact, a threefold prescription to rekindling our love relationship with the Lord. Revelation 2, 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. That's what I was talking about earlier. There was a height. There was a place. They, they had fallen. And this is what it says. Number one, repent and do the works you did at first. It says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Now, we alluded to it in communion a little bit. But I want to highlight it again. The first prescription, the first step that we take is to remember. Remember. What are we remembering What are we remembering? We're remembering the height in which we had fallen. Remembering, going back to a time where your love was at at first. He uses that descriptive word, fallen. There was a time where the fires of the love relationship with Jesus were greater than they are right now. And you know what happens? Perhaps it was the duty. Perhaps it was the serving. Perhaps it was the busyness. The busyness of life. The busyness of, of ministry. Maybe the focus got so much on keeping the doctrine pure and the endurance of hardship that called the the fires of love, caused the fires of love to be left behind. How many know we live in a world today that is busier than it's ever been? In fact, I think we have more technology that's supposed to make life less busy. In fact, I think we are more busy. 
We can crowd a lot of things into our day. We can crowd a lot of things into our calendar. We can crowd a lot of things into our to-do list. And it seems like everything today is urgent. We never get away. We always have that device with us that, that dings and lets us know the next notification of what we need to do, what we need to check. And, and if, if we don't think we have it, then somebody else is calling us and telling us what we ought to do or texting us and telling us we ought to respond. And you can't do it later. You've got to do it right now. We busy ourselves. We've, we, we never get away. There is so much. And it's no wonder because when we don't have margin in our lives, it leaves no room for relationship. And that relationship is not only a relationship horizontally with others, although those things suffer, but a relationship with Jesus Christ suffers as well. And I think that that is one of the things here that he's saying is, listen, you've got to remember why you started doing all of these things in the first place. Because somewhere along the line, your love relationship with me has gone cold. You have replaced it with a lot of duty. You've replaced it with a lot of things. And they're not bad things. How many of you know that the enemy of best is not always bad? Sometimes it's settling for the good. We settle for what is good. Well, that's not bad. So that's good. And I, and I like good. But the enemy of best is good. When we fill our lives with so much good that we're not able to do what is best. And it's so easy for the love relationship with Jesus to suffer. And so here they were. And, and what we usually when we think of, uh, 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 of these things, when we look at these things, we go, well, I, you know, I, these are important. I mean, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And, you know, like, like marriage, sometimes if you don't stoke the marriage relationship and you just start to rest on, well, we got married and now life has taken over, how many of you know that you can begin to grow apart in your marriage relationship? You can begin to forget why you loved each other to begin with. You can begin to forget what that passion was that you once had that brought you together. And rather than having an active marriage life in which you are, are loving and passionate and you just enjoy being married and the joy of marriage, instead it becomes the duty of marriage. And the duty of marriage without the joy of marriage leads to this separation and this gap. And if we're not careful... If we're not careful, then when, when the kids leave the house or when this happens or that happens, all of a sudden we're on shaky ground. And that's what happens. Sometimes we forget. We forget. And he's saying, I want you to remember. What do I want you, what do, I want you to recall? Well, I want you to recall the things you did at first. What were those things that happened? What were those things that stirred that love relationship in? Maybe it's recognizing the grace and the mercy of God. Maybe it's recognizing that I was once a sinner, but I've turned into so much duty that I begin to look and I begin to get a little self-righteous. And my self-righteousness has somehow kept me from recognizing that I need, uh, I, I need the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. I forget about his mercy and his grace. So in, in trying to guard and being doctrinally pure, all of a sudden I become judgmental because I, I forget what Christ has done for me. I forget how much he's loved me. It's so easy to slip away. It's so easy to grow apart. But the call, the recall is to remember what first led us into the relationship. The greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second was like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But you can't love your neighbor, you can't serve and love your neighbor if you're not loving Jesus. It's got to begin with loving Jesus, and we've got to remember those things. 
remember why we began with Christ and getting back into delighting in our relationship with the Lord. Lord, it's a delight. My relationship with you is a delight. It's remembering. So let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. This is an important question. Was there a time in your life where you loved Jesus more than you love him now? Was there a time in your life where you loved Jesus more than what you love him now? I know that's a hard question. I think we'd all like to answer, no, no, I'm, my love relationship with Jesus is, is better than it's ever been. And you know what? As marriage grows, I know that the, the passions and the fires and those kind of things, that that's not all what dictates love. Those are some of the outflowing of love. And I know that the longer you are married, if you really love one another, deeper love goes. But here what he's talking about is, is, is what did you do at first that caused it to go so deep? What did you do at first that began to stir it up? What were those things that you did at first? And my question to you is, is was there a time in your life where you loved Jesus more than the way you're loving him now? And that's the question. Praise God, brother. Come on. Come on. That's it. That's it. Because far too often we get comfortable in the shallow religious routine when Jesus wants to take us deeper so that we can really begin to delight in him. Remember. Second, repent. Repent. There's that word. What does that word mean? Repent. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like I just got to cry like a baby up at the altar sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes it's the brokenness. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How many know I'm sorry is weak unless there's change? I'm sorry is weak unless there's change. Repentance involves more than just I'm sorry. It's about making a change. It's about making a change. And, and, and again, when we look at this, when we realize that our passion has been diminished, our love relationship with Jesus has been replaced by duty, the only call that we have is a call to repentance. And I know when we think of repentance, usually we think of the big moral sins. Oh, I lied. I've got to repent. I cheated. i got to repent. I stole. I committed adultery. I, I drank too much. I, I've been addicted. I've done this. I've done that. Oh, oh, I've got to repent. Those are the big things. But it's interesting here that Jesus, that, that there's nothing in this church from a from from a, a moral standpoint that he calls out. There's nothing here where he says, you've been a liar, you've been an adulterer, you, you've been addicted. There's nothing here in here that, that, that brings up any of these big sins. In fact, they were commended for a lot of good things. The problem was is that their love for relationship with Jesus had grown cold. They had abandoned that love relationship and they had exchanged it for something else. And Jesus says the prescription for that is to repent. That is what you repent. When you find that the passion and the love and, and the, 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 the relationship you have with Jesus is not where it should be, the, the answer to that is repentance. Oh, but I don't have the big sins. You don't need the big sins. If there is something that has gotten in the way of that love relationship with Jesus, you've got to repent. You want to start to restore that. It begins with repentance. Begins with repentance. The fact that they had abandoned that love relationship, they'd begun to exchange it for duty, caused a warning. And had they not repent, if you do not repent, I will remove your lampstand. As we examine our own lives today, we've got to realize that we might need to repent. 
If our love relationship with Jesus has become diminished in any way, then it gives reason for repentance. Serving is not a substitute for loving Jesus. You can't serve and not love. And that's what a slave does. A slave serves but does not love. A slave serves out of duty. That was the problem in the parable of the prodigal son. What Jesus was really getting at is it wasn't just the, the, the son who had, who had abandoned his father and had gone out and spent his life on wild living with the pigs and had come back. That's a great part of the story and that's important as well. But there was another son that was lost and that son that was lost was the older brother who had stayed in but could not rejoice that his younger brother had come home because he had left his father. The lover with his father had been exchanged for duty he was serving as a slave and he said to his father what is this celebration I've been serving you these many years and you've not given me anything to celebrate with you never asked you have moved away from loving me as a father you've moved away from loving me and it's become duty and because it's been duty for you you have no more delight For some of us in here, our relationship with God has been exchanged for duty, and you've lost the love relationship with the Lord, and judgment, having a judging heart, a judging critical spirit has taken over, and you're not happy. There's no joy in your relationship with the Lord. You don't enjoy coming to church. You don't enjoy being around the body of Christ. You don't enjoy worshiping because you're too busy criticizing. Duty in exchange for delight. And the Bible says repent, for you have forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. Repent. Rekindle the flame that once burned bright. God gives grace to the humble. Third return. Return. Do the things you did at first. Our tendency is to focus on activity. I know that's mine. Whenever there's something, it's what can I do? What can I do? What, what do I need to do? And to, to some degree, there is activity that's involved. You know, when, 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 when we were first dating, there were things that, that we did. We exchanged those little notes and, you know, little flowers and little things that you do, you know, and you just love to, and I think beyond the, 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 the giving things, beyond those things, one of the things you just love to do is you just, you just love to talk to the other person. You just love to talk on the phone. You just, you could talk for hours and hours and hours and hours, and it did not seem like it was hard work at all. It didn't seem like it was difficult at all. You just liked being in that person's presence. And when you weren't in their presence, it was like, oh, my goodness, this, is, this just stinks. i got to be at work. I'd rather be with them. Oh, man, i got to do this, but I'd rather be with them. And you just talk for like hours and hours and hours. Why? Because you were enjoying the relationship. You were loving the relationship. It was not a duty. You enjoyed being in the presence of, the, in the presence of their company. And, you know, that's the kinds of things that when you, when you give your life to Christ, when you recognize and you begin that love relationship with Jesus, you just delight in being in God's presence. You love being in his presence. 
Oh, my goodness, a, a worship meeting that goes a little late, a, a prayer meeting that goes a little longer, a, a tearing around the altars that takes a little bit longer. Oh, man, I don't have a problem. I'm not staring at my watch. I'm not saying, but I got this to-do list I got to get to at home. And, man, the Browns are playing on Monday night. I sure hope we don't have a prayer meeting that lasts until then at the church. No, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's no longer a duty and a, oh boy, I sure hope he doesn't drown on any longer preaching, my goodness. There's a desire just to be in the presence of the Lord. There's a, there's a delight to just being in his presence. There's a delight that, that, that moves away that is just excited anytime you have the opportunity to steal a little time away just to get in the presence of your Savior. Return. Return. Do the things you did at first. Remember what it was like. Repent. Take ownership. Take responsibility. I have exchanged this love relationship with the Lord for other things. I am delighting in other things more than I'm delighting in the Lord. I'm delighting in the calendar. I'm delighting in the, in the, in the to-do list. I'm delighting in this. I'm delighting in this more than I'm delighting in Jesus. Repent and then return. What did I do at first? What were some of the things that I did at first? Colossians 2, 6, and 7. So then just as you receive Christ as, you, as the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. And in Revelations 2, 7, he closes this message to the church in Ephesus with these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's going to be repeated. Throughout these letters, that's going to be repeated. Why? Because sometimes... We, we hear, but we don't listen. We hear, but we don't listen. Jesus is saying, listen up. Listen up. And I want to encourage you today to hear this message. Listen to these words. Heed the warning today. The church was a serving church. They were busy in ministry, and, and, and they were doing lots of things for the Lord. They were a discerning church. They were holding to the truths of God's word, doing their best to filter out messages that were not in line doctrinally. And they were a persevering church, enduring the hardships and, and, and persevering through the persecution. And yet, somewhere along the line, all of that had led them away from a love relationship with Jesus Christ. They had forsaken their first love. They had exchanged delight for duty. They had become busy and content with coming to church, with serving and persevering, that they didn't recognize how far they had fallen in their love relationship with Jesus. They didn't recognize the relationship had changed. But Jesus, in his mercy, invites us to come back to our first love. He invites us to remember what it was like when we took delight in him. He wants us to remember the joy we once had that started all the things that we were doing that we did out of worship and we did out of delight, but now we do out of duty. And he tells us to repent, to take ownership. To repent that we have forsaken our first love and to take those steps to recultivate the fires by doing the things we did at first. So are you in, as in love with Jesus as you once were? If not, it's time to repent. It's time to return to the Lord. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today's the day to begin a relationship with Jesus. It's time to repent and it's time to re-invite Jesus 
into your life. So my question is, have you forsaken your first love? Let's bow our heads today. Let's bow our heads today. We've got time this morning, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an altar call. I'm going to invite you to spend some time cultivating that love relationship with Jesus. I'm going to invite you to come and spend some time if you need to repent today. And again, I'm not talking about maybe there is those big moral sins, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just I've just exchanged some things. I'm just not as tight with Jesus as I once was. I, I don't have that same delight that I once did. And Jesus invites us to come, and he invites us to repent, and he invites us to begin to do the things that we did at first, to spend the time in his presence, loving him and worshiping him and delighting just being in his presence. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I've never even started a relationship with Jesus, but I want that kind of relationship. I want that kind of relationship. I need his forgiveness. I need his grace Today, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, will you slip up your hand today? I need a relationship with Jesus. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. I want to invite Jesus into my life today. Hallelujah. All right, this time I'm speaking to you, church. I'm speaking to you, believers. It's your relationship with Jesus. That love relationship with Jesus, is it stronger today? Or have you found that maybe you've forsaken your first love? Maybe the fires, the delighting in your relationship with the Lord is kind of growing dim. It's not what it once was. The passion you once had is not quite there. And today you say, you know what? I need to repent today. I need to repent today. I need to recultivate that relationship with Jesus. I need him to be my first love. If that's the case, I want to invite you that as we begin to sing and worship, I want to invite you to, to spend some time at the altars today. I want to invite you to come and spend some time with Jesus today around these altars today. There's something about the altar. There's something about making a step forward. There's something about coming and delighting in his presence and spending some time today. And we're just going to sing just to help with an atmosphere of worship today. But oh, I want to invite you to come and re cultivate that relationship with the Lord in just a few moments. I want to invite you to stand as we close today. I want to invite you to stand. Jesus, Jesus right now, Lord, we recognize a relationship with you is so much more important than anything else. We want to delight in you. We need you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for inviting us into your presence. Jesus, we want to love you. We don't want to forsake that first love. We want to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We repent today, Lord, for the busyness. We repent today, oh God, for the exchanges that we've made in our lives where we've exchanged serving in other areas or serving other people or duty, things that are good, but Lord, have replaced our love relationship with you. God, we want to delight in you. And so we repent today. Forgive us, oh God. 
Call us back to that time when our hearts burned for you, when our hearts yearned for you, when we desired you and loved to be in your presence, loved to hear and loved to listen, loved to be in your word. Oh God, we repent today and we want to come back to our first love. We want to come back to our first love today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. The worship team is going to lead us, and I just invite you to come if you need to spend some time today. You just want to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Maybe you want to just spend some time. Maybe there's some things you want to repent about. Will you come today? Will you come today with the time that we have? And let's just come and spend some time in his presence today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.